hello, hello, and welcome back to the FOP Corner podcast. This week, I am really excited to have another coworker from Speech Meta on the podcast. I have Navita from Speech Meta. She did her master's program in Australia. So we were chatting and we thought that it would be awesome to have her on and she could answer some of your guys' questions. So before we jump into that, welcome to the podcast, Navita, and I'll have you give a little introduction. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, Shannon. So my name is Navita, and I did my bachelor's degree at UBC. I got my bachelor's majoring in speech science, and I got a psychology minor. And then I went to Australia to complete my master's in speech pathology at Macquarie University, and that's in Sydney. Um, so yeah, pretty much uh, what happened was... I applied quite a few times at Canadian schools, um, didn't get in. I think I kind of, you know, made the mistake of worrying more about finishing my degree within a certain amount of time rather than, you know, taking my time with it and going through all of the courses and kind of hurt my GPA a little bit, kind of hurt my chances of getting into Canadian universities. But I knew that becoming an SLP was my dream and that was definitely something I wanted to do. So. Um, somebody who I worked with through another program actually recommended applying to Australia. So I did and I got in straight away, which was great. So I went and did my master's there in Sydney, uh, studied through the pandemic, which was an interesting experience. And now I just got back home in December and I have been working for as a speechy for a few months now. And I work with you, Shannon, at Speech Meta. And I also work at Citadel Speech and Language Services. It's another private practice in Coquitlam. Okay. Okay, so I just didn't even realize that we both did our undergrad in the exact same thing, but we probably didn't overlap in years then, maybe. I don't know. Probably not. I'm pretty sure I'm older than you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, small world. So we both did our undergrad in speech sciences at UBC. That's awesome. It's so competitive and there's six schools in Canada. So like, I know I have a friend who I did undergrad with and she's still applying and it's like, just at a certain point, it's like, what do they want from us? Like, what more can we do? Exactly. And even a couple of my um, peers who I studied with who graduated at the same time as me in 2016, they only just got into a Canadian program this year. So they've been applying for like four or five years and only just got in. And I can't imagine that I'm way too impatient for that kind of life. No, totally. I'm too. And like the anxiety of waiting just oh, too much. Well, I feel like it's really nice for people to hear if they're listening and they're feeling discouraged about applying and not getting in, that there are other options, there are other ways to become an SLP. And I feel like that would be a really cool experience and kind of almost wish I would have thought about that because I never did a semester abroad or anything like that. And I just think the experience would be so cool. So basically when I found out Navita was gonna come on, I just posted and I asked everyone like, what are your questions about studying abroad? And I think that we talked about it in the best way is just to go through people's questions because these are the questions that people are really wondering, wanting no answers. And Navita, um, I mentioned some of them to her and she feels like these are a good reflection of what she gets too because she gets lots of questions from people that are interested in this. So I'm going to kind of fly through the questions and then we can have Navita answer them because how often do we get someone who's literally studied abroad just came back it's all fresh in your mind we can get all this information out now while you still remember it and then people can get answers so that's i'm really excited so thanks for coming on to do that so first question and they're in random order first question did you have to use loans to pay for tuition if so how is the debt load is it manageable ah the dreaded debt question yes this is this is a heavy question that a lot of 
people have asked me about. And yeah, it is a heavy topic. It is a scary topic. Uh, to answer the question, yes, I did need to use loans because um, anybody who has looked into studying abroad will see that international tuition fees are very expensive, um, quite more expensive than if you study domestically. The government does provide you with some loans. So you can get some loans from the provincial government, from the federal government, um, but they're not enough to cover your tuition costs as well as your living costs. So I did have to take out a couple of extra loans from the bank. Um, I was very lucky that I had my parents help to co-sign my loan so that I could get approved. But yes, all in all, I did have to take out some extra loans. Uh, you will find yourself in quite a bit of debt by the end of the program. But I mean, yes, I'm back here and yes, I'm working and I, I have a roof over my head. I'm able to, you know, go out and get food with my friends if I ever want to, not that I can right now because of the pandemic, but if I wanted to, I could. So in that sense, yes, the debt is manageable. I think it's one of those things that you just have to kind of accept that you have to be accepting of that before you get go into the degree and know, okay, when I come out of this, I'm going to have quite a bit of money that I have to pay off, but I can do that. There are ways around that. Um, and there are other people who have studied internationally that I know who are doing just fine. You know, they bought property, they're having other investments, they're all doing great. And there are ways that you can lessen your costs too. Like, I got a part-time job while I was in Australia, so that really helped with some of the costs. And I actually found Allied Health Financial is a really great resource, uh, so I use them a lot. How did you discover them? I listened to this podcast by- Was it through it? <laughs> yeah, it was your podcast. Yay! Oh my gosh. Okay. That makes me so excited because I was going to bring it up after this question. Okay. So go ahead. I'm really excited about that. They're awesome. Yeah, so they're really great. So I actually found um, that I, I use their blog quite often, especially when it comes to learning about ways to pay off your debt. So think separating things into good debt versus bad debt, uh, deciding if you want to pay off your largest loan first or paying off maybe the loan with the largest interest. Um, so yeah, just seeing all of these different plans. And for me, once I had sort of a plan in place about this is how I'm going to pay off that debt, then the idea doesn't didn't seem as scary to me anymore. So it was really helpful in that sense. Mm -hmm. Like having a plan in place and feeling like you have a plan and some control over it right away, I feel like can diminish a lot of anxiety. Yeah, for sure. All right. Thank you. That was like a, I didn't really plan that out. And that was an intense question to start you off with. There. <laughs> okay. Woo. All right. I should have started with this one. Which school did you go to? What was the name of the school? You said it was in Sydney, right? Yeah. So the name of the school was Macquarie University. Um, and that's one of a few schools that you can actually go to in Australia for getting your uh, degree in SLP or in speech language pathology. Um, so yeah, there's a few in different states, but the one that I went to was called Macquarie University. Okay. And then how easy was it to be able to practice in Canada after your degree? And I have another question. How easy was it to get a placement in Canada? I don't know if we mentioned this, but Navita did a clinical placement at Speech Meta. So how is it to move back and start working? And then how is it also to even get the experience here in the first place? Yeah. Okay. So um, getting a placement back in Canada is not something that is offered to you just by being offered to you when you're studying in Australia. That's something that you have to, you would have to ask for um, and see if the opportunity 
opportunities even there. So um, it wasn't even something that I had thought of. It was actually my roommate and my classmate, Danielle, who I went to school with. She was the one who asked um, our program directors if that was even a possibility. So the program directors at Macquarie actually got in touch with alumni from our program who were working in Canada. And then one of our coworkers, Fiona, got back to them and said, oh yeah, I can take them on as students. And so it was during our um, winter break. So we were coming home anyway, and we were like, okay, well, this is great. We can come home and do our placement at the same time. So it worked out really well that way. In terms of coming back home, I think that was your second question. So coming back, yeah, I didn't feel like there was anything that I felt like uh, hadn't been covered in the program that we would be working on in Canada. Um, and if there was something that wasn't covered, then I knew that I would be able to figure that out. So for example, um, funding systems. So, you know, getting healthcare funding in Australia is different than in Canada. In Australia, you'll be learning about the NDIS, which in very basic, basic terms means um, if you have a disability, then you will receive funding from the government to pay for medical and allied health services as you need them. Um, whereas, you know, in Canada, you would come, and that would include um, like, somebody with an ASD diagnosis, they would get funding through the NDIS. Whereas you come back to Canada and, you know, here we're looking at things like AFU funding, at-home programs, CKNW, Variety. Um, so having a placement back home definitely helped with introducing me to those things. Um, also working in the field before going to Australia too helps. I worked um, for a little bit as a BI and a little bit as an SLPA. So that sort of previous work experience definitely helps. Um, but yeah, I didn't feel like there was anything major that I came home and I was like, oh my God, I have no idea how to do this. And one thing that I'll say, if people are listening or anyone wondering that is I did my master's program in Vancouver and I still felt so overwhelmed with like the types of funding. So I wouldn't even necessarily worry too much if you're doing it elsewhere and you're coming to a new province or to a new country. Cause I had such a learning curve, learning the different types of funding, where people are billing from on all those things. And I like literally remember making a word doc, like CKW variety, the amounts, and I was so overwhelmed. So I feel like it's one of those things where a lot of it can be overwhelming and you're just gonna learn. And even if you even were here the whole time, it still might be a bit of a shock. All right, let's see here. Did you, okay, this is, I've asked, I actually asked a clinical educator this before in like Summerland or something. Um, this question, which I realized after might be a little like a silly question, but I totally relate to this person who asked it. Did you focus on different speech sounds when working with Australian accents? Not really. So there was a little bit, but also not. So, I mean, yes, obviously Australian people pronounce words differently. Um, and when you're doing like standardized assessments with them in Australia, um, your transcriptions, just be mindful that, you know, oh, the vowels will probably be a little bit different. Some of the pronunciations might be a little bit different and we need to be mindful of that when we're doing our transcriptions. But that being said, if you're doing a standardized assessment like the Goldman Fristo or the, the DEAP, a lot of the time they have like a US version versus an Australian version. So the transcriptions that they already have on those tests will be suited to that country's pronunciation. So in that way, you're already kind of prepared. But yeah, it's just something to be mindful of. The one thing that we didn't really look into too much in Australia, which I came home and I was like, oh, I need to look into this a little bit more was the R sound. So <laughs> yeah, like obviously here we say R is at the end of our words, whereas in Australia, they, they don't. It's more like instead of water, they say uh, water, 
which is a horrible Australian accent. I'm so sorry. But yeah, I didn't even know the terms um, pre-vocalic versus vocalic R. So I came home and I took over a client from one of my coworkers and in her notes, she had noted something about vocalic R. And I was like, what is that? But it wasn't something, it was nothing that a quick Google search couldn't tell me. Yeah. I remember asking. And I, for some reason, when I first asked that question to the CE, I imagine that like the consonants would be different, but it's not the consonants. It's the vowel and it's the absence of the R. You still work on like fronting. And I don't know if like other people relate to this, but when you think about accents, you think maybe, oh, the speech sounds be different, but not necessarily. Like if someone wants to go work in Australia, the big things or the vowels are very different. And then R, that is amazing that SLPs there don't necessarily have to worry about the dreaded R. <laughs> oh my I, God. I came home and I was like, oh yeah, I can do speech sound therapy, no problem. And then I got like five R clients and I was like, oh my gosh, what is this? <laughs> like, even having R here for the master's program, I still am like, what? R is just not a good time. It's definitely a learning curve, but like you said, it's one of those things that even if you do touch on it in university, you're going to be doing a lot more learning on the job. That's like the overarching thing that I want every SLP to be who's like listening to this to remember. And I want them every time I'm like doing podcasts, especially solo ones. I'm like, don't even worry about what you learn in grad school, obviously learn whatever, but you will learn so much when you start working that it's like, don't even worry about it. You're going to learn the most on the job anyways, and you're going to learn the most in your clinical placement. So where are we? Oh, did you feel prepared from your studies abroad to take the Canadian national exam? So either the SAC or um, other people might be thinking like that would be like for Americans, the praxis, or now Canadians can take the praxis too. So did you feel prepared to take the exam? Yeah, so I took the praxis because when I came home, there was that whole transition period that we were going through with the SAC exam. Um, so when I came home, I took the praxis. And the great thing about the praxis now is you can actually take it from home online. So I did it during my two week quarantine. While I was in quarantine, I came home and did the praxis. Um, in terms of feeling prepared for it, um, yeah, I came home, uh, I literally studied for two days and I passed. So I would say, yeah, I felt decently prepared. Um, I found just having that, that praxis textbook that you just look through, that a preparation textbook was enough for me. Um, and I think one of the big things that helps with feeling prepared is that, especially in my degree, I don't know how the degree goes at UBC, maybe you can shed light on that, but in my degree, there was so much more uh, focus on the critical thinking aspect and the practical use of knowledge. It wasn't just, um, you know, here are the facts, memorize the facts, and then write them down on your test paper, and then that's it. That's how we teach you and test you. For us, it was they would teach us in lectures, and then we would get assignments that were case-based, um, and those were the assignments that our grades were worth, and it really um, tested our practical use of that knowledge through case studies. So I think throughout the whole degree, we actually only had two tests, two exams throughout the whole degree. Everything else was case-based work. Uh, which really helped with that sort of practical knowledge and that critical thinking. And I think that's what helped me feel a bit more prepared for the exam was that I could look at a, at a question and think about it critically. Yeah, like, you know what, then I would almost even say it seems like you maybe were even more prepared than Canadian students because, well, I'm not going to speak for all Canadian students, but for UBC, because personally, I found we had lots of like testing and things like the more old fashioned way of doing things. Of course, some classes, classes were like problem based learning type of classes, which were like more with like where things are moving now in the education system. But 
that sounds really great because I wish that we had more of that critical thinking type of stuff in our master's program because sometimes I felt like there was a lot of theory and I didn't find that to be overly helpful. So that, and I mean, two days and you passed, like that has got to make people feel a little bit better because people are always so worried. So everyone just digest that information. She studied for two days, jet lagged in a quarantine and she passed. <laughs> yeah, also just adding to that as well, it was Christmas time. So I literally, I came home, I was completely, I think I got home on December 20th. I was jet lagged for like a week because the time difference kind of really throws you off. Uh, and then it was literally, Christmas day. And then I studied boxing day, December 27th. And then Dece December 28th, I took the exam and passed. So <laughs> amazing. Like what a relief, best feeling ever to get that over with. Okay. So what was the application process? Like if you can try, that's probably a big question, but just like overall, was it overly complicated? Were there any tips or tricks you had from that? Yes. So a uh, big thing that I did with my application was um, I applied for school through a company called Oztrek. That's O-Z-T-R-E-K-K, -K, um, which I highly recommend for anybody wanting to go to school in Australia, uh, whether it's for speech or even another program. Uh, pretty much Oztrek is a Canadian representative for a bunch of Australian universities, um, and they help you with the whole application process. Um, so they give you checklists that you can use for each university for all of the documents that you need. Um, and the best part about it is you only need to send one copy of all of your documents to them. So like transcripts, you only need to send them one transcript. You only need to send them your uh, passport once. You only need to send them, um, I think you can send them one letter of intent and then they can use that those uh, documents for all of your university applications and apply to all of the Australian universities for you using those that one copy of documents, um, which is great. And then a lot of the time they actually waive the uh, documentation fees for you as well, which is even nicer because you're about to spend a lot of money on international tuition. So why not save a couple of hundred bucks? Um, and once you create your account, uh, you have an ambassador with Austrek who is matched with you and they help you through the whole process as well, which is really helpful because pretty much anytime you have a question, you can email that person and they will get back to you. Um, I think my ambassador would always get back to me within like 24 hours uh, and they can help you with pretty much anything, the application documents, uh, accessing funding, uh, getting your visa sorted, all of those things. So they were super helpful with um, getting you ready to go. That's amazing. I'm going to add that to the description of the bio. So if anyone's like, I need to go check that out, that'll be in the description of the bio to click on. Thank you for walking us through that. I feel like you're like calming a lot of people's nerves today. <laughs> because anyone interested in this definitely like thank you I wish I had something like that when I was applying okay so someone asked did you find oh we kind of answered this but I'll ask anyways in case you have anything else you want to add but they just said did you find that the way the system works in Canada is different than what you experience in Australia so maybe did you notice any big differences with like the therapy process or the way clinics run any like any differences like that that you think are noteworthy or did you feel like it was pretty similar I think for the most part it was pretty much the same um I mean Australia and Canada are very similar countries in a lot of ways right they're both under the commonwealth they're, they both have similar kind of forms of government as well so it's a similar health care system in a sense too like there's public health there's private practice there's you know school practice um and there's also community health as well where you're traveling to clients homes so in a lot of ways it is very similar public health i think um 
especially when you're working with peds, I think they work with children up to age five, which I think is the same here. Um, and yeah, I'm pretty sure for the most part, I couldn't see anything that was really a big difference that would be noteworthy. Okay. All right. That's good to know. And then the rest of the questions, um, we seem to get a lot on the, was it easy to transfer back, which you already answered at the more start of the podcast, but overall, like it was a process, but it was totally doable. You're here, you're working. Is there any like pieces of advice or anything you want to leave people with? Um, anything else maybe you've been asked before, just anything else you want to leave people with about your experience? Yeah, sure. So um, in terms of coming back, there are a couple of extra things that I can add. So one of the things to know is that when you come back, it's not going to be as simple as you send in your documents and then the next day you're approved and then you can start working. It's not that simple. Like even when somebody studies domestically, they'll be waiting a little bit of time to get their license. And it's the same thing when you're studying internationally. Um, so you'll have to send in all of your documents to the college um, to get your approval. But then we also, international students also have to um, have their transcripts evaluated by the World Education Service, the WES. Um, so you have to allow time for that document to be sent in. I think it takes them a week to evaluate it. And then they have to send a paper copy to uh, your college as well for approval. So there is quite a bit of time that can go around that piece alone. And then you also need to make sure that you're tracking all of your hours. Um, and that's academic hours, but and also your clinical hours, um, because you need to make sure that you've gotten experience um, and academic coverage and all of these specific subjects that will be laid out on um, these sheets that uh, the college actually provides for you. This is the College of BC, by the way. I'm not completely sure about if it's different for Ontario or for other provinces, um, or same thing, I guess, in, in the States. I'm not sure if it's different. That would be something to look into. But for anybody who's in BC, all of those forms are on the College of Speech and Hearing Health Professionals of BC um, and the Speech Audiology Canada websites. Um, and yeah, it takes a little bit of time to get all of that documentation together. Um, I also had to get uh, our program coordinator to write us a letter sort of outlining the way that all of our academics were spread out um, because they, do, they just need a lot of detail to know that the program that you're studying at is equivalent to a program in Canada. So it, it's understandable, but it is a lot of documentation. So if you can get started on that earlier, my advice would be to do that. I think I started mine within the last month of um, my degree. And I feel like I could have started it within the last term and been in a better position and been stressing about it a little bit less. Okay. That's helpful to have like a timeline. So you probably recommend like last term, start trying to get all that in order and everything. And then um, and then would you say like if they started at the beginning of the term, like what timeline would they expect for all of that to be completed and they can begin working? Would you say like a couple months? Yeah, one thing to keep in mind is the school years or the school terms are at different times in Australia. So you'll be finishing probably in November, December time um, in Australia. So also keeping in mind that you're going to be coming home and then it's going to be the holidays. So that might also be delaying your application from being uh, reviewed a little bit more. For me, it took three months for me to get approved. So just keeping that in mind as well, if you want to have maybe some sort of part-time work lined up for that time, or um, if, you know, maybe you want to travel, if that's an option at that point, uh, finding things to do to kind of fill that time would be really useful because I did not enjoy twiddling my thumbs for three months. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, well, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you? Like if anyone's like, oh, I have like a really specific question or they just want to connect with you more. Um, do you have, uh, yeah, where, well, I know you, <laughs> I know you have some place where they can find you, but can you let everyone know where they can find you? <laughs> yeah, sure. So I don't post any like SLP related content content on my Instagram, but if you have a specific question and you'd like to get in contact with me, you can find me at slp.navita, N-A-V-I-T-A. Um, if you want some SLP related content, then you can go ahead and follow um, our clinic accounts. So there's speechmeta, spe at speech.meta. Um, and then the other clinic that I work at in Coquitlam is Citadel Speech and Language Services. Their Instagram account is at Citadel SLP. Perfect. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on. I feel like this was so helpful because I've never had a podcast on this topic before. And I just feel like it's nice to be able to sit down and just have all your, your questions answered versus like frantically Googling and stressing out and finding a million different things. Like we have someone who has experienced it all. We're able to have you answer. So I really appreciate you taking the time to do that today. Yeah, no worries. Actually, I just thought of one more thing that I can add. I feel like I've talked a lot about sort of the, the nitty gritties and kind of the boring documentation pieces, but there's also the whole experience aspect to it as well. Like traveling and living abroad for two years was probably the best decision I ever made. Like it's an experience that I can never forget and I will always cherish. And I met amazing people, had the most amazing experience, saw some incredible things in another country. So if you do have the opportunity and you find that this is something within your reach, I would strongly recommend taking it. Yeah. I feel like I can't even imagine the experience that you must have had being able to go to a entirely different country for two years and be able to learn there. And it's kind of nice because you were put into a master's program. So it's probably a bit easier to make friends and all of that. So that's really nice. Okay. Well, thank you for coming on. If anyone's wanting to contact you, I'm going to put your Instagram in the description of the bio. I'll also put the other two clinics, Instagram speech meta and Citadel speech in the description of the bio. And yeah, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us and yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Okay. I'll see everybody next Sunday.